you cleanse our heart. Forgive us of sin. Lord, we are so grateful for your mercy. Lord, um, till the day you take us home, we will never be able to thank you for the mercy that you have poured out upon our lives, Lord. And Father, I just ask, Lord, as we look to your word, as the gals have studied in the discussion groups, Lord, that you would take us deeper as we learn of you, as we grow in you, as we desire to become more like you. Father, speak to our hearts. And I just ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would have free access, that your Holy Spirit would be the guest here, and that you would open up our understanding and illuminate the scriptures like they've never been illuminated before so that we may know you and draw closer to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God's mercy is what we're looking at tonight. And um, as I thought about um, God's mercy, the attribute of God's mercy is broad. It is incredibly broad in its meaning. And you may have noticed, as each teacher shares about an attribute, it seems like one attribute is overlapping another. And God's mercy um, is no exception. God's mercy is unusually, it's usually related to a person in um, misery or distress. And I don't know about you, but I qualify. Um, mercy speaks of God's innate desire to pity, help, and aid those in need. Um, in this small description of mercy, there are various words throughout the scriptures that convey the attributes of God's mercy. And we'll look at several of them. I'm going to look at three of them right now and share a little description on God's mercy on that. And then we'll go in uh, more in depth. Uh, Mercy speaks of kindness, eagerness. It's also an expression of faithfulness devoted to a covenant. And this speaks of God's covenant with his people. Mercy also means to bend, to stoop, incline in kindness to one inferior. And also, mercy uh, denotes compassion. It has the idea of a motherly feeling towards a child. Mercy is not something God has, but something God is. God's infinite goodness is the source of his mercy. God's mercy is uncreated, and it is eternal. It never began to be. It always was. The mercy of God has never been any more than it is now. God's mercy will never cease. Nothing that occurs can increase the mercy of God or diminish the mercy of God or alter the quality of the mercy of God. When Jesus died on the cross, the mercy of God did not become any greater. It could not become greater, for it was already infinite. Jesus died because God was bestowing his mercy. It was the mercy of God that gave us Calvary. If God had not been merciful, there would have been no incarnation, no babe in a manger, no man on the cross, and no open tomb. Nothing anyone has ever or could ever do could diminish the mercy of God. A person can walk away from the mercy which God has bestowed upon that individual, resulting in God's mercy being inoperative by their free will and by their choice. But that does not change or diminish the power of the word of God, nor the mercy of God. And it does not alter the quality of God's mercy. It is impossible for Jesus, who sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession, to make the mercy of God any more 
than it is now. God's mercy is an innate desire to show pity, compassion, and to help the needy, which is a branch of God's goodness. We're told in Exodus, um, well, you know what? I'm going to skip that because of time. We want to look at a threefold distinction regarding his mercy. We're going to look at first, there's a distinction of God's mercy over his creation. And then second, we're going to look at there's a distinction of God's mercy over the unsaved. And third, there is a distinction of God's mercy over his people. So let's begin with there is a distinction of God's mercy over his creation. Um, Remember, mercy is usually relating to someone in misery or in distress. This is a general mercy of God, which is extended to his entire creation. In Psalms 145, verse 9, it says, The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. In Acts 17, verse 25, we're told he gives to all life, breath, and all things. Scripture reveals in Matthew 6, 26, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And in Psalms 145, uh, it, verse 9, it tells us, He gives to the beast of its food and the young ravens that cry. God has compassion upon his creation and their needs, and he supplies them with the proper provisions. You know, we don't see, as the scripture says, the birds toying to get their food. He provides for them. Second, there is a distinction of God's mercy over the unsaved. Again, keep in mind, mercy is usually related to someone in misery or distress. Now, this this, uh, mercy to the unsaved is a special mercy of God, which is exercised toward the unsaved, helping and aiding despite their sins. To them also, he extends all the necessities of life. In Matthew 5, verse 45, it says, For he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. In Mark 6, verse 34 and 37, it says, And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. And then in verse 37, he tells his disciples, give them something to eat. Here, the mercy and compassion of God in providing for the unbelieving, physically and spiritually. Uh, Isn't this what every one of us were prior? We were all sheep without a shepherd. And then we heard the word of God. And we paid heed to the word of God. And he did become our shepherd. But he extended it to us while we were unsaved. And here, as he, as he extends to these, belie- uh, these people in uh, Mark 6, he then tells his disciples to feed them. So he met them spiritually, and he met them physically while they were unbelievers. Um, the mercies which God bestows on the wicked or the unsaved are solely of temporal nature. They are confined strictly to this present life. There will be no mercy extended to them beyond the grave. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time when you will receive his mercy. Once you die, that mercy is gone. 
There's no limbo. There's no purgatory. There's nothing of that which the Bible speaks about. Now is when God wants to extend his mercy. In Isaiah 27, verse 11, it says, For it is a people of no understanding. Therefore, he who made them will not have mercy on them, and he who formed them will show them no mercy. Once that time is done, once you're gone, there's no more mercy. All men are recipients of God's mercy. Don't think for a moment when you repented, that was when God's mercy began to operate in your life. It operated from the time you were born. God's mercy was upon your life. All of us can look back upon our lives and know God's merciful hand was upon us. Whether it was a decision or an act um, that you should have, that should have cost you, or maybe it did cost you, and that's what brought you to the Lord. In Lamentations 3, verse 22, it says, Through the Lord's mercy we are not consumed because, of his, because his compassions fail not. One commentator stated, if you hadn't had the mercy of God all the time stooping in pity, uh, withholding judgment, you'd have perished long ago. His desire for every one of us, for this whole world, is repentance. Remember he says in Second Peter, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The cruel dictator is a recipient of God's mercy. The wicked murderer is a recipient of God's mercy. The blackest heart is a recipient of the mercy of God. Uh, This does not mean the individual will be saved. It does mean that God is withholding uh, his justice because of mercy. In Romans 2, verse 4, it says, Do you despise the riches of his mercy, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads us to repentance? It's his goodness. It's his mercy upon us that led every one of us to the Lord. But take heed. It is vain for the wicked to presume who continue to be defiant of God and to hope and count upon God being merciful to them, believing God will never cast them into hell because he's too merciful. Think again. Scriptures speak very heavily about hell. Scriptures speak very heavily about God's wrath. God is a God of justice as well as a God of mercy. God declares to his people who were rebellious in Isaiah 5, verse 14, Therefore, Sheol, which speaks of hell, has enlarged itself and opened its mouth beyond measure, their glory and their multitude and their pomp. And he who is jubilant shall descend into it. And I want you to listen to this other description of this very same verse, this uh, translation. It says, the grave is licking its chops in anticipation for Jerusalem. This delicious morsel, her great and lowly, will be swallowed up with all her drunken crowds. This is what happens to those who have hardened their heart. This is what happens to those who are rebellious to God. You cannot continue to despise God's authority, trample upon his laws, continue in sin, and then presume upon his mercy. In Psalms 9, verse 17, it says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget their God. All men are recipients of the mercy of God, but God has postponed the execution. That's all. Why? In hopes that man will repent. God shows mercy to the truly repentant, but not to the unrepentant. Remember Luke 13, verse 3 says, Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. 
This is what will happen. Mercy cannot cancel judgment apart from the atonement. When justice sees iniquity, there must be judgment. But mercy brought Christ to the cross. God takes no pleasure uh, in watching his enemy suffer. In Ezekiel 33, verse 11, I think I've heard this scripture shared so many times this year in this study. In Ezekiel 33, verse 11, God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but the wicked turn from their evil way and live. Isaiah 55, verse 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for for he will abundantly pardon. If that isn't mercy, I don't know what is. He will abundantly pardon. God never looks down and rejoices to see somebody squirm. Oh, I like that. They're squirming. That's not God. That's man. That's you and I. But that's not God. He doesn't take pleasure in watching someone squirm. If God has to punish, God is not pleased. God is not pleased. He's not happy. He's not saying, Gabriel, get out the, get out the sticks. Get out the, the club. Let's do it. He's not happy. God is sorrowed by the hard heart. In Isaiah 63, verse 9, it says, In all their afflictions, he was afflicted. That's speaking of God. He was afflicted. In Luke 13, verse 34, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were unwilling. Do you think God was happy about that? Do you think Jesus was happy about that? Listen to what he says in Luke 19, verse 41, as he is standing on this hill and he's overlooking Jerusalem. Listen to what he says. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially this day, um, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. He says that they wept. Jesus wept knowing what was going to happen to Israel because of their hard heart. He sorrowed. Ladies, he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But through God's mercy, Jesus died in order that justice might be satisfied. We can go to heaven on the mercy of God in Christ. The sinner is justified by faith in the work of Christ on the cross, that atonement for our sins. Justification means that mercy and justice have collaborated so that when God sees the iniquity of man because of the cross, he no longer sees iniquity, but justification. Do you know what that word justification means? I love it. Just as if I've never sinned. Justification. That's how God sees us, because of his mercy, because of his son dying for us. No one can ever accuse God of not seeking to save the lost through his great. Did I say great? Abundant. Did I say abundant? I mean great. It is incredible mercy that he has bestowed upon us. The nearness of God's mercy is as a father pitieth his children in Psalms 103, verse 13. And I was reading Tozer's um, uh, um, commentary on this. And Tozer tells a story after the First World War in the United States with the United States' great heart sends great sums of money to Europe to help with all the orphanages and all the children that have been abandoned or have lost their parents. 
And as the help is coming, there's not enough money. I mean, how much money is there? There's not enough money. And there's this gentleman who's walking with his daughter. And I don't know if you know anything about malnutrition people, but their eyes become very big and they become very bright. And this man's eyes were big and bright and his arms were very skinny and his uh, legs were very skinny. And he's holding his daughter by the hand. And he walks into this room and his daughter looks just like his dad. Big, bright eyes, swollen stomach, skinny arms, skinny legs. And he, and he walks into this orphanage and he says, can you take my daughter? And, and the gentleman says, well, are you the father? And he says, yes. He says, well, I'm sorry, we can't take your daughter. There are so many full, or, so many, um, full orphans, meaning those that don't have two parents. Anybody that has a parent, we can't take you're, we can't take the child. We have to leave the child with the parent because we just don't have enough money. And the man looks at the gentleman across the desk and he says, you mean if she didn't have a father, you would be able to take her? And they said, yes. And he goes, okay. And he looks down at the little girl. And the little girl looks up at her with her bright eyes because of malnutrition, looks up at her father, and he picks her up and he holds her as tight as he can, gives her a big kiss, and he says, puts her back down and takes her little hand and puts her, her hand into the gentleman's hand. And he says, I'll take care of that. He walks into the next room and he commits suicide so that his daughter could have a home, so that his daughter can have food, so that his daughter can have clothing. You see, he paid the ultimate price so that his daughter could be taken care of. And so that's what we have when we look to Jesus Christ He paid the full price. He laid his life down so that you and I could have a life, a life full, a life abundant because of that great love. We all know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is what God did for you and I. And Tozer said he never forgot that story, never forgot it. Because it just translated so much to him of God's love towards us. He said in the way that that father took care of that son, or took care of that daughter, as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pities those that fear him. This is what God did for us. Here is the great manifestation of God's mercy. This is mercy at its finest. I don't think as long as we live, we will ever understand that great mercy in the fact that he died for us while we were his enemies. That's when he came. That's when he died. Which brings us to the third, which is the distinction of God's mercy over his people. Again, keep in mind, God's mercy is usually related to a person in misery or distress. This misery is a sovereign uh, mercy, which is, did I say misery? I meant mercy. This mercy is a sovereign mercy, which is reserved for the heirs of salvation, which is communicated to them in a covenant way through the mediator. God's mercy entails goodness towards his people. That's you and I. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. We are his daughters. We belong to him. Because of his mercies. What a privilege. 
In Isaiah 63, verse 7, it says, The great goodness towards the house of Israel, which he has bestowed on them according to his mercies, according to the multitude of his loving kindness. Incredible loving kindness. Incredible um, love. His great goodness is that which desires the happiness of his people and the irresistible urge in God to bestow blessings. Anyone who is a parent knows the pure joy, the, ple- the pure pleasure in blessing our children. And it even gets better when you have grandchildren in blessing them. The goodness of God takes pleasure in the pleasure of his people. God's mercy through the covenant of the Old Testament are clearly seen, as well as the covenant through Jesus Christ in the New Testament. His mercies are extended to his people in a way that we will never uh, uh, understand, that the world will never understand. The world will never understand the pleasures that we have as we walk with God. They'll never understand it. They think we're kind of weird, and that's okay. That's okay. Because we enjoy such incredible benefits from our Heavenly Father. And I want to look briefly uh, in the Old Testament how God's mercies are revealed in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, it says, The children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out. Their cry came to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. That took place at the close of the second chapter of Exodus. And at the third chapter, it begins with the burning bush, Moses standing before that burning bush, and God commissioning Moses to go and free his people. When God actively exercised compassion on his people, he did four things. First, he heard their groaning. Second, he remembered his covenant. Third, he looked upon their suffering and pitied them. And fourth, he immediately came down and helped them. There is account after account after account of God's mercy on behalf of his people. Just take the time to go through the Old Testament. You will blow your mind how often God intervenes in the life of his people. This was true of Jacob as well. Uh, despite the fact that Jacob recognizes he was not worthy of God's mercy, and really, who is? I, I identify with Jacob. I'm not worthy of his mercy. But in Genesis 32, verse 10, it says, uh, Jacob says, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. When Jacob is making this statement, his brother is on his way with 400 men. Jacob doesn't know. Does Esau mean me harm? He believes he does. And he is making this plea before God. And while he's making this plea, he makes this statement about God's mercy. Only to have his dread melted. Because as he sees his brother, they hug each other. It's not, it's not a disastrous time of meeting one another. It's a joyous time. All of us, like Jacob, receive his mercy regardless of our unworthiness as we call out to him. In Psalms 86, verse 15, it says, But you, you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. David recognizes God's mercy as compassionate and gracious in Psalms 27, verses 13 and 14. He says, I would have lost heart 
unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. Every one of us have been through circumstances where we would have lost heart had it not been for the mercy of God. Had we not waited upon God, and he strengthens us, and he encourages us. In Psalms 55, verse 22, it says, Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Why are we not moved? Because we're looking to God. We keep our eyes fixed on the author and the finisher of our faith. His mercy encourages the believer. The same is true in the New Testament. We're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Here the word mercy expresses the idea of compassion and sympathy to one in need. Remember, we've learned that over and over and over again. Our God is actively compassion. He's not just sympathetic to our situation. As we read the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, we see our Lord actively compassionate as he heals the lame, as he opens the eyes of the blind, as he heals the lepers. In Matthew 17, verses 15 through 18, a father cries out, Have mercy on my son, who is an epileptic, and Jesus heals him. In Matthew 20, verse 30 through 31, two blind men sat by the road and cried out for Jesus to heal their blind eyes. And Jesus had compassion and he healed them. In Luke 7, verse 13, a woman is in a funeral procession and her son has died. Jesus had compassion and brought him back to life. How many times have you been in a car in your home? or with a group of people, and you learn about a tragic situation that takes place, and you listen to that tragic situation, and you're just like, oh my gosh, that is so horrible. That is so awful. That is our first reaction. It's sympathy. It's compassion. But not compassion enough to do too much, right? We're just compassionate. You hear something on the news. Most all of us are compassionate for a short time, but God's compassion leads him to actively be compassionate. We're compassionate many times, but many times we're not actively compassionate. The benefit that we have to receive his mercy when in in misery or distress is in every situation, every situation. He is actively compassionate. Um, he tells us in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Doesn't Peter tell us in 1 Peter 5, verse 7, Cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. That's what he tells us. I talked with a mommy a couple weeks ago who was incredibly um, distressed as she was thinking about some decisions that she had to make for her son. And she was fearful how those decisions would affect him. And she began praying and she began opening up her Bible and she began reading, God, speak to my heart. God, speak to my heart. And as she was reading God's word, God gave her um, 2 Kings 6, verses 7 through 17. And that, those verses speak about um, Elijah's servant, who was very fearful because the enemy had come to their town. And the enemy had surrounded their town. And he was very fearful. 
And Elijah prayed and said, God, open the eyes of my servant to see that there are more for us than that are against us. And what the Lord had showed this young mommy is that there are more for her son than that are against her son. Her son has to make these decisions, certain decisions that will either benefit or that will cost him. But there are more for him than that are against him. The comfort that she received from God as she cried out for mercy was incredible. I went through something a few weeks ago where I was just very concerned about a certain situation. And I was sitting and I was listening to a devotion. And this devotion just blew me away. As this person shared this devotion, I just began, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And I was just, it's like the burden had lifted. God had removed the burden. His mercy just totally took care of the situation. God is actively compassionate as we cry out. He hears our cry. What are you going through today? His mercies are new every morning. In Psalms 32, verse 10, we're told, But he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. That's what God promises. Those who trust in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. The very act of trust on the part of the believer moves the heart of God to protect him, just as in the case of a parent and a child. The moment we throw ourselves on God, we are encircled. By his mercy. Don't you love that? Mercy shall surround us. Paul had a dear companion and fellow laborer in the ministry, Epaphroditus, who was close to death. And listen to what Paul states in Philippians 2, verse 27. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. This man was brought back to full health. What loving kindness and mercy as the Lord healed Epaphroditus. Uh, yet remember, his mercy is on whom he will have mercy. Not everybody receives a full bill of health. For some, God's mercy is to take that person home. It's God's will be done. So we see his mercy in so many facets through God's word. Listen to the cries of the psalmist in Psalm 62, verses 2 and 4. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me. Deliver my soul for your mercy's sake. The psalmist asked God to show his mercy in restoring his spiritual health. God's mercy is great. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9, God's mercy is plenteous. In Psalms 86, verse 5, God's mercy is tender. In Luke 17, uh, Luke uh, uh, chapter 1, verses 78, God's mercy is abundant. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, God's mercy is everlasting. In Psalms 103, verse 17, God's mercy is trustworthy. In Psalms 21, verse 7, every one of us are indebted to his incredible mercy that is great, plenteous, tender, abundant, everlasting, and trustworthy. What are you stressing about today? His mercy is great. His mercy is plentiful. His mercy is abundant. Who hasn't cried out to God in times of desperation and need? And he, through his mercy... Uh, has encouraged us through the word or through an individual or through a circumstance. God is continually revealing his mercy to us. We sing, and I love this song, I called, you answered, and you came to my rescue. He does it all the time, all the time. 
Time and time again, we experience his mercy in so many ways. We no sooner done with one situation and another one arises. And then another one. And then another one. And then another one. It never ends, does it? We no sooner get through one situation, another one arises. Because of the mercy and grace of God, our response should be to fall on our knees in worship and in thanksgiving, acknowledging his great mercy. In Luke 17, verses 12 through 17, it says, speaks about how Jesus healed ten lepers and only one returned to give thanks for him. And Jesus says in Luke 17, verse 17, were there not ten that I healed? Where are the other nine? Isn't that a picture of us so many times? We plea, we ask God for something. And he does it, and then we go along our merry way. We don't even thank him. We're all guilty of it. We're told in Psalms 136, verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. The Lord's mercy can also be used of man's towards man to exercise the virtue of mercy. As we study the scripture, God reveals our responsibility is that we bestow mercy as well. Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 8, Freely you have received, freely give. Do you remember the parable Jesus shared in Matthew 18, verse 23 through 35? And it was about a servant who owed his master $12 million. And the master called him in and he wanted his money. And the man just cried and begged and went down to his feet and says, Please, please give me time because he knew he was going to get thrown in jail. Give me time. I will pay you the money that I owe you. And the master was moved with uh, compassion, with mercy. And he said, I forgive you. I forgive you all of it. He went, he left his master's house totally debt free. He didn't owe him 12 million anymore. And as he left the master's house, he came across a, a gentleman that owed him $17. And he says, where's my money? Give me my money. And the man said, please be patient. I'll I'll give it to you. No, I'm throwing you in jail. I want my $17. Had him thrown in jail. Another servant saw it, told the master. Listen to the words of the master in Matthew 18, 32 through 35. He says, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also had compassion? That word compassion is pity and mercy. On your fellow servant, just as I had on you. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. It should be a natural response to have the mercy that was bestowed upon you to have that mercy towards someone that you are in contact with. The bottom line is, in experiencing his mercy, in experiencing it, uh, we are to be merciful. James tells us in chapter 2, verse 13, For judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. But he goes on to say, mercy triumphs over judgment. And wasn't it his mercy that triumphed over the judgment that every one of us deserved? God is so gracious. God is so good. There are times we are to extend mercy to others, whether it be in forgiveness or through other means. God would have you, when you hear of a situation sometimes, God expects you to step out in mercy to meet that need. Um, How? By inviting someone to dinner? 
maybe by buying someone groceries, maybe by paying someone, paying a bill for someone who lost their job. James chapter 2, verse 15 tells us, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? And notice, I want you to keep in mind, it doesn't always have to do with money. It doesn't always have to do with financial. It could be helping clean a woman's house because maybe she just had a surgery. It could be tutoring someone's child. It could be driving someone to the doctors. However the Lord shows you a need, you have to pray. If, if you're just to pray about it or if you're to step out and be merciful and be compassionate about that situation. In Matthew 25, verse 40, it tells us, Surely I say to you, inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 48, To whom much is given, from him much will be required. Matthew 5, verse 7, speaking of the beatitude, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We are being conformed into his image. This is our desire. This is our goal as believers. We are to be conformed into his image. We learned tonight about mercy. God expects us to be merciful. In Galatians 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the God we serve. We don't, we get, we don't get carte blanche in, an, in a certain way. We are to be doers of what God has done for us. We are to be like him. We are to be just like our master. I love it. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Who are we imitating? I hope not the world. I, I, I hope not what you're watching on television. Imitate Christ. He has called us to be merciful. He's been incredibly merciful to us. He expects us to bestow mercy on our brothers, on our sisters, on the world. That's part of being a light. That's part of being salt. This is what, you know, Xavier and I pray all the time, Lord, let Pasadena be a light to this community. Our communities are getting darker and darker and darker. They need the light and the love and the mercy of God bestowed. They don't even get it. They don't even understand it. We need to be a light. We need to allow his mercy to transform our lives in a way that it ministers to those around us. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your goodness and for your grace. So thankful for your mercy. There is truly none like you. And Lord, I just pray that as you have been merciful to us, that we would demonstrate that mercy to others. Lord, we just thank you. We give our life to you. Lord, help us to be more like you, that we would decrease and you would increase. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, ladies.